Amen. First John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. And that joy there he's referring to is the happiness that we receive because of the eternal promises that we have from God. And knowing that our relationship with Him is not only on good t- terms, but we're close to Him, right? That we are walking with Him. That's where our joy, it's a, it's a uh, fruit, part of the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for the joy that You give us as believers. That though we were in darkness, that though we were uh, alienated in our minds, our foolish hearts were darkened, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that you have made us alive, that by your grace you have given us understanding through your Spirit, that you allowed us to understand truth, that you gave us the gift of faith and repentance, and that we were able to believe. Leave on the only begotten of the, of the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us these truths, that we were able to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, give us understanding now as we look at 1 John today, as we prepare for the table. Lord, we ask that we would not come to the table in an unworthy manner. We ask that your Spirit, through the Word of God, would... Convict us in areas that need conviction, that you would give us insight into our own personal lives. We know that our hearts is, are deceptive. We could come here right now thinking that everything is fine, and yet perhaps there is a, a sin, a chism between ourselves and another brother or sister. We ask that you would give us wisdom into our life if there's a sin, if there's a division. If there is something that is not right, that you would search us, you know us, that you would re- reveal to us so that we might be able to confess, repent, be able to walk with you so that we would partake in a worthy manner. Uh, Lord, again, we thank you for all that you have done uh, through your sacrifice uh, for us, all the spiritual blessings that we have. And as we consider this whole idea of joy, Uh, Give us understanding whether or not our joy is truly full, or are we just surviving? Please guide us now for your honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. may be seated. If you'd like to take out your bulletins, and you'll see there uh, you have an outline. This is what I would like you to do. This is the outline. I would like you to turn it over and use this other page, other side, because <laughs> we're not actually going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. Um, I was feeling a little under the weather yesterday. By the way, the message is done, but I just, and as I was considering just a number of things, by the way, I feel quite good, 85, 90%, um, but I thought, you know, 
I'm going to I'm going to do a different passage today. It's the Lord's table. Sometimes it's good just to really focus in on uh, our responsibility, making sure that we come before the table in a worthy manner. Uh, actually, after I preach, Billy Baker is going to lead us into communion. Okay, so that's how we're going to do it. So because of that, the outline will be next week. If you want to turn it over, you can write a few things if you'd like. If if you say no, I don't like to write, well then just put the bulletin away. <laughs> But if you want to take a notes, it's 1 John 1, verses 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. But the, uh, the Apostle John, when he wrote, he said this, is our fellowship is with us, verse 3, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. By the way, you know if you're in fellowship with the Father by how you fellowship with one another. Those two things go hand in hand. Let me say this, as a Christian, don't try to walk with God without walking with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Sometimes we try to do that. Like, I don't need them, I just need him. He designed the body. That's like saying, well, this finger doesn't need the body. He could be on its own. Be careful. Because he says this in verse 4, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And that just struck me. Is your joy really full? Is your, and I'm going to use this word not in a superficial way, is your happiness in the Lord really full? Is it really overflowing? And again, it's based on, the happiness there is not based on circumstance. We've got to understand that. It is based on the spiritual realities that we have, the promises that we have in Christ. But is your joy full? Now again, we know we have joy, that's the fruit of the Spirit, but he, but he says that your joy may be full. And so he, he breaks down, and I just want to cover a few verses, like I said, verses 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. And uh, you're going to come out with basically three false claims and then three truths. And I think these, these false claims and truths will lead us right into communion. And it all has to do with this, the joy, the joy that the Lord wants us to have. Let me read uh, the second part of the passage, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him. And declare to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. Again, that's why he writes these things, so you would not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Let's go back to verse 5. God is light. Think about what light does. What does light do? It exposes, right? Put light up against darkness and exposes. Or it destroys darkness, you could say it that way. It penetrates through the darkness. By the way, the darkness would be representative of sin. 
and it gives guidance. Uh, downstairs, someone was sharing in ABF how, how we should be, I, I don't know if she used the word patient, but I thought, you know, with the unsaved, do you understand the unsaved person has no, un, no understanding of the direction they should go? I mean, they have their conscience, bears witness, but as far as uh, a true understanding of who God is. And yet, if you have Jesus Christ, if, if you've received him, you have light. You know the direction we, uh, you, should, you ought to go. And God is light. And by the way, that's the positive. The negative is this. So if you want to say positive, God is light. Negative, um, in Him is no darkness at all. By the way, the, uh, the title is A Call to Holiness. See, if we want to have full joy, we need to be holy. Be holy for I am holy, he says in Peter, right? If you want to have joy, you've got to be holy. If you want to be full of joy, you've got to be holy. Got to be Christ-like, and so he starts out and says, "God is light, and in Him is no, no darkness at all. There is not a smidge of darkness in God. He's absolutely perfect. He's full of truth, no error, no falsehood, complete in holiness. And as we approach Him, we got to understand who He is. By the way, that's why we approach the table. That's why it's very important to make it a priority." To not only approach the table, but to approach it in a way that says, Lord, I am a sinner saved by grace, but if there's anything that has been shown to me, I have confessed it. Do not partake of the table without first self-examination. See, we were called as, as we were at one time children of darkness, and now we're children of light, it says in Ephesians. So again... One man said this, John's definition of God is light is followed by a denial of three false claims in which he is probably denying the false claims of the Gnostic false teachers. And by the way, these claims are still around. These men profess to know God in a deeper way, yet did not take sin, which is opposed to the nature of God, seriously. Now, I want you to get that last part. They didn't take sin seriously. You know, and there's so many different ways that Christians cannot can not take sin seriously. No, that's just who I am. I get that from my parents. <laughs> I live that way. Don't you understand my circumstances? You know, that's just my temperament, or whatever other excuse. You know, we need to take sin very seriously. And. You know, again, the older I get in the Lord, it's just neat because I, I find it a great adventure. I, I call it probably the greatest of all adventures, how God is constantly working in my life and bringing stuff up. And it's like, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see, I didn't understand that. Or I didn't see the seriousness of that. I just find that, I find that exciting. I don't find that depressing in the least. I find that very, very exhilarating. That God is, is changing each one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to become more like His Son. Because with each step, there's greater joy. Isn't that true? There's greater joy with each step of becoming more like Christ. So, let's look at the uh, errors. Ver- the first one's found in verse 6. The first error is this. I can sin and still have fellowship with God. That is the error. I can sin and still have fellowship with God. Verse 6, if we say, now by the way, they said it, not do it, say it. If we say that we have fellowship with him, that's God, and walk in darkness, we lie. Purposely lie? Well, apparently. And do not practice the truth. 
This is a common claim that a person can have fellowship with God and at the very same time uh, his life is characterized by unrighteousness that he can still have fellowship with him. I mean, I can have fellowship and still have a life that's characterized by unrighteousness. That's a lie. So he says that walking in darkness... By the way, it's in the present tense. It means continuous. It means that I continually walk in sin. He's not talking about this. Fall, repent, walk with God. Fall, oh, real quick, repent, walk with God. He's saying that I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I've heard this before and I've shared it with you. Where uh, uh, Sometimes it's a wife telling me about her husband for whatever reason and says, you know, I've never heard him ask forgiveness. To her, you know, to the person. She, he's never come. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and he says he's a Christian? Uh, you mean he's walking perfect in his marriage? I mean, I know there's some guys that do walk perfect in their marriage. No. Uh, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> this is a continual practice. That's what he means by walking in darkness. He's not talking about dot, dot, dash. He's talking about straight line, you know, flat line. So walking in, in, in darkness, no, there should be a progressiveness of growth. In fact, uh, Charlie was talking about uh, Hope Ministries, H-O-P-E. And, and the actual ministry is acrostic for this, helping others progress effectively. Because that's what it's all about. By the way, I would hope, <laughs> I would hope, I would hope that you would never feel bad that if you need help in a ministry as far as counseling, you know, let's say, getting back into the stream of life, that you, wouldn't, that you would feel bad about asking someone else to help you get back into the Christian stream of life. Because, quite not, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, you are a sinner. And now I want you to do this. And, and say it this way. And sometimes you are a very bad sinner. You know, a church should be looked at not like a cathedral, but like a hospital. You know, there is hope, but there is only hope if we accept the fact that we are all sinners saved by grace. I mean, again, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved by grace. But, but we are sinners. I think sometimes we try to hide from that. Well, I was a while back. No, now... See, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Some people, Christians, yes, I'm walking with Jesus. Really? And those problems are in your life and you're unwilling to repent of them? Well, I can still have a relationship with God. I don't have to have my brothers and sisters. No, that's not correct. See, this is what the truth is, verse 7. Look at the truth. If we walk, that's a present tense, in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Do you notice what he does there? He draws the fellowship, not with God, but he says, listen, if you're walking in the light, you're going to have fellowship with one another. It's going to be a horizontal fellowship. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So as I walk in the light, he is continually... Uh, sanctifying, continually washing myself and each one of you. That's a statement to all Christians. As you walk with him, he continually sanctifies us, cleanses us from all sin. So an obedient Christian will walk in the light, that's truth and holiness, 
And again, seek daily cleansing. That's what Ephesians is all about. Remember Ephesians 5, and it talks about Jesus Christ as the head of the church, and we are his bride, and it says this in verse 26, that that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water, what? By the Word. We need to be in the Word. If we're not in the Word, we're not going to be able to get cleansed. You'd like to turn in... Turn to, with me to Psalms 119. Would you real quick? Just keep your hand in First John. Psalms 119. <clears throat> very, very familiar passage. But I, uh, last night I started looking at more of the, just the verbs, the intensity of the verbs. Uh, Psalms 119, verse 9. It says this, how can a young man cleanse his way? And the word cleanse is in the intensive form. The idea is how can a young man, or any man, how, any person, how can a person have true victory? That's really what he's getting at. How can we have true victory? By taking heed according to your word. There is no other way to have victory. You've got to get into the book. The book has got to be what cleanses us. That's what Ephesians 5.26 that we just said. Sanctifying cleanser with the washing of water by the word. Verse 10. With my, now catch the word. Whole heart I have sought you. Not part of my heart. Lord, I'll give you a Sunday. I'll give you a few hours. Maybe a little snippets along the way called devotions. You know. No, no. My whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander. From your commandments. That, that word, uh, let me not wander, is in the causative. In other words, he's saying, God, I need you. That's, that's, a true, that's a truly humble man right there. Oh, let me not wander. Lord, protect me. Um, you know, if, if, if you're not in my life, I will fall. Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart, that I might not sin against you. But that word hidden is in the completed form. In other words, Lord, I have done all that I can possibly do. I have, I have focused on your word with my whole heart. I have sought you. I have gotten into your book. But I know that when it's all said and done, if it's, if it's going to take hold, if the word of God is going to take hold, it's because you have planted the word in my heart. And I believe that's the last. That I might not sin against you. Now, that's an incomplete. So he's saying, listen, I've done everything I can, but I know that I'm still vulnerable. I'm so vulnerable. So to walk in the light, we must be cleansed by the blood of, uh, the blood of Christ. Again, that happens at salvation, but it's continually happening. And we're led by his spirit as we study and follow his word. The other little part I wanted to just kind of throw out is a growing Christian will, again, be in fellowship with other believers. Which gives indication of his fellowship with God. <clears throat> fellowship with others gives indication of your fellowship with uh, God himself. That oneness. So again, we have to be in fellowship with each other. And you say, well, you know. Well, let me just pick out one relationship, just for time's sake. How about husband and wife? I always find this verse very convicting. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. By the way, you can go, well, you can go to 1 Peter 3 or 1 John one. First Peter 3 says this, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them. <laughs> doesn't even name wife. He just says dwell with them with understanding. Husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding. And I'm thinking, well, why? Oh, I understand why he says that. There's a lot of differences between husbands and wives. Would you agree with me on that? 
Can we at least come to agreement on that one? A lot of differences. Huge differences. No. But sometimes, you know, a man, look at what he says. Giving honor or value to the wife. Is that easy for a man to give value to his wife? Not always. Not always. As to the weaker vessel. Well, weaker physically. We understand that, right? Not weaker in all sense. I mean, my wife has said she had seven children. She said, you know, no, you wouldn't want to go through that. <laughs> yeah, right. As being, <laughs> as, being, as being heirs together of the grace of life. See, because when it's all said and done, if you're a believer and she's a believer, you're heirs together. There's equality. We are on the same footing. There's not like a hierarchy. That your prayers may not be hindered. You know, when it comes to fellowship, one another, it may be that the, the, the hardest part of your entire Christian life is with your spouse. But be careful. Don't come to the table if, if you're not on good terms with your wife or with your husband. In other words, if you're not in fellowship with that person. Um, because he even says here that your prayers may not be, uh, may, uh, may not be hindered. Because why? Because they will be hindered if, if you're at odds with your uh, wife or your husband. They could go actually either way. So again, the first error that we've been looking at is that I can sin and still have fellowship with God. How about uh, error number two, verse eight? And he just follows it right down. He basically gives a verse on one and a verse on the other. The second error is this. As a Christian, <clears throat> sin can be eradicated from my life. That's an error. There's an actual whole movement. Uh, part of the Wesleyan movement was uh, perfectionism. And they felt like uh, sin could actually be eradicated from their life at a point. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now this is talking to a Christian. The first reference was to a Christian. This is to a Christian. Can a Christian actually think that they can have their sin eradicated from their life? Yeah, like I said, there's, there's a teaching out there. See, these false teachers not only walked in darkness, they even denied the existence of sin's nature in their lives. But see, I, that error has also snuck into the church at times. Probably came through this Gnostic process of enlightenment, I guess you would say. Um, the idea was that you could spiritually develop to the point where you no longer sinned. In other words, this is what they're saying. And this is the part that sometimes Christians find. Well, I can learn the right things. And by learning the right things, I, I will never sin again. I, I remember um, my wife went to a Christian conference. Wasn't it that she said something like in seven years she had not sinned? I thought she's psychotic. <laughs> what is she even thinking? And now this is a person who is teaching a Christian conference. You know? What is she thinking? Well, this is, why it's, this is why it's dangerous. Because her antenna was not up for really the deceptiveness of sin in her own life. See, I'm sure that, well, just saying it, pride and arrogance, okay? But there was these, you know, the tentacles of sin go very deep. 
And again, if we're not, if we're not like antenna up saying, okay, Lord, you're, you're seeking to make me become more like you. And I was a child of darkness. I am now a child of light. But I'm still sinning in a life, a Christian life is a life of repentance. And so, Lord, I'm not saying that you get all analytical and every move you make is wrong. But what I am saying is this, that you are aware that God is seeking to transform you. And that we come to this conclusion. We are not perfect on this side of death. Now, if you just say, yeah, you're right, we're not perfect on this side of death, then you have to say, Lord, sensitize me, search my heart, know me, and show me what I need to change, because I've just admitted I'm not perfect on this side of death. So again, the seriousness of the matter emerges in the fact that when a person believes himself not to sin, he therefore excuses his sinful deeds and does not bring them to God for confession or, or cleansing. In fact, if that's where a person gets into a, a, a very quickly uh, blame shifting. Well, it's not my problem. You're the problem. In fact, what I'm doing is not sinful. You're the sinner. You know. What's the truth? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Very, very, I'm, I'm assuming probably all of you have memorized, or many of you have memorized that verse. Again, the word confess is continually confessing our sin. Let me just break this down for you, just in a couple, three parts. First of all, what is God like? Well, it says that God is faithful. He is faithful and just. That's what God is like. Faithful means he holds to his promises. Aren't you glad that we serve a God that holds to his promises? And has told us his promises. See, we can go to God. See, why that verse is there is this, because you know what? Wham! And I see my sin, and sometimes I want to run from it, and you do too. And now we say, but oh, God is faithful. Defenses can go down, right? I don't have to defend myself. You caught me, Lord, but you're faithful. You're faithful. Uh, Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, I want to forgive. And I'm promising you to, that I will forgive you. Now again, you may be here at this very moment having never been forgiven. I don't want to assume that you are all believers. The Bible is very clear that our sin has damned us, condemned us before God, because he is righteous and holy. That actually, if, if your sins have never been forgiven by Christ, in a judicial sense, that we are under the wrath of God. But the Bible is very clear that those who recognize their plight... <laughs> That we are under the wrath of God, we are damned, we are condemned before God's holy, righteous anger and holy, uh, righteous wrath. But those who have recognized that, the plight, and looked to the cross and what Christ did on the cross, that we can be forgiven, right? I, I, I always go back to John 1, uh, 12. But as many as what? Received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. If you receive Christ, Christ takes your sin and they've been taken care of on the cross and gives you his righteousness. Now, I'm saying that verse because in a moment we're going to see that again. So again, are you a believer? Maybe you say, yes, I am definitely a believer in Jesus Christ. And the next question is, are you looking at your life maybe farther along than it really is? 
Like, you don't have to deal with the confession. Like, you know, I mean, if you look back and you say, you know, in the last month I can't remember a time that I confessed to God. I would say, you know, ask God to sensitize where you're at as far as spiritually. So that's what God is like. He is faithful and he is just. Romans 3 says this. He is, the, he is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. The idea is this. God punished our sin at the cross when Jesus became our sacrifice. He punished. So therefore, since the sin has been punished at the cross, and I'm pointing to this because this is a symbol of all that Christ did. Therefore, when I go to the Lord and say, Lord, please forgive me for my lust. Lord, my anger, my unrighteous thinking, and my selfishness. Yep, I can forgive you. By the way, he doesn't do this. Rug goes up. Yep. No, no, it's been taken care of totally. Totally. Why? Because it's actually been paid for by the blood of Christ. Done. Totally done. Not like just, you know, swept under the rug. He is just. He is absolutely just and forgiving. What's, what is our response if we confess? That's a, by the way, a present tense. Interesting. Not heiress. Not point. Like, I'm continually confessing. We are continually confessing. The Apostle John wants to make sure we know that this is a continual process. A continual process. Even after salvation. Again, when you get saved, you have been declared righteous, but then continually, continually, we're going back and asking for his forgiveness. No, I don't know if I... If we confess, he is willing to forgive. Again, forgive as far as any... Let me say this. When we get saved, we are judicially declared righteous. So what is all this forgiveness about? I thought I was already declared righteous. It's the, it's the family relationship. See, when I sin, my, my, my fellowship with God is broken. And now I need to confess. And what happens is my fellowship is restored. That's all that happens. It's not like I, now I'm saved. Now I'm not saved. No, no. no. It's just I'm, I'm declared righteous. Because I, I, I talk to my children about this. Seems like the younger kids always want to know about this. Like when I sin, am I like not saved? No, 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 no. No, you, you are judicially saved. In other words, you're declared righteous. But now when you sin, uh, fellowship is broke. And when you ask God's forgiveness, what happens? Fellowship is restored. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. By the way, the word confession means to say the same thing as. I'm agreeing with you, Lord. Yeah, you've been knocking on my heart. You're right. You've been knocking and telling me that is wrong, and I keep running, and now I'm I'm stopping. I'm stop. I'm going to stop running. No, you're right. I'm wrong. Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, "He who covers his sins will not prosper." And that word "cover" is again in the intensive. He's trying real hard to avoid uh, dealing with his sins. He he who covers his sins. By the way, if you try to cover your sins, you will not have joy. Do you agree with that? If you try to cover your sins before God who is omniscient, you will not have joy. Oh yeah, you can't run from God. By the way, I say praise God, we can't run from God. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes. And a number of years ago, I, that word forsook hit me. All right, so I confess, but I'm also supposed to forsake. When I confess, I'm supposed to have the attitude... Lord, I'm a sinner, and I am fragile, and I'm finite, but my intention is at this moment never to go back. 
Now, I'm not saying you never will go back, but I'm saying your intention at the moment of confession is, I will not go back to the sin. Now, some might say, well, what if you decide not to confess? Go to Psalms 32. Just for those who, well, I don't know, is sin really that bad? I mean, come on. He understands. He's my father. You tell me he's my father. I mean, is it really that bad when a, uh, a Christian isn't walking with Jesus? Now, again, this is Old Testament. This is David, but he, obviously David's an Old Testament saint. And just so you know, chronologically, he sins with Bathsheba. He confesses his sin in Psalms 51. This psalm most likely is written sometime afterwards. So there's some distance between sin, Psalms 51, where he just lays out the sin, how he had sinned so grievously. And now he's looking back. Sometimes, you know, you've got to give yourself some space to really look back and say, wow, I didn't realize how damaging that sin really was. In Psalms 32, verse 3, it says this, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning. That word groaning was used of a lion, like roaring. It shows the intensity. Uh, how much groaning was in his life all the day long. So he, he tried to keep silent. You know, he wasn't going to deal with it. But even his physical was, it was taking a, a major toll because of the spiritual that wasn't taken care of properly. You know, he was trying to hold his sin. The physical was, uh, uh, you know, breaking down, as it were. Verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. You ever have God's hand heavy upon you? Praise God he does. I mean, these are real positive. I know this might sound really negative, but this is really positive. Or to say it this way, if God didn't keep his hand on me, I wouldn't be saved. I would have walked away from him a long time ago. If I end up in the... By the way, I will. As I end, when I end up in heaven, you know, when I'm finally there, it'll have to be this. Praise God, he persevered with me because I wouldn't have done it on my own. Right? I would have jumped ship. Okay? But his hand is heavy upon me. That's, by the way, just the kale, which means just the, uh, it's just an obvious, uh, just a point of fact. God's hand is heavy upon us when we are walking away from him. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. You know, you ever been just parched, no energy? Oh, I just want to have a drink. You know, well, that's how his vitality, I just, you know, zapped. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. Oh, turning point, turning point. In other words, I acknowledge my sin to you. Now, this is the word declare, but it's in the intensive. Man, when I, I just declared it to you, and you see a, a full exposition of that in Psalms 51, the first few verses. I acknowledge my sin. If you find that you have sin as you come to the table, acknowledge it in the intensive. Lord, this is who I am. I'm not just going to say, well, I had a little bit of pride there. I was arrogant. I walked away from you. Lord, thank you for being patient, you know. When we confess our sin, should it hit us like a knife in the heart? I think so. Yeah, we have, we have gone against our Father. There should be even emotional pain in that whole thing. In my iniquity, I have not hid. Those are both in the intensive. I acknowledge my sin. I have not hid my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And I'm sure he just said the Selah. Amen and amen. I'm walking back with Jesus. So, 
Again, don't, don't walk out on God. He's going to pursue you. And what happens? God will forgive and God will cleanse. The word forgive means to send away. And he brings it back into fellowship. And he sets you back on a, a solid path. So the error is that sin can be eradicated. He said, no, it can't. And I'll tell you why. Uh, because you're still a sinner. But you know what? Don't get disheartened with that. Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. And then finally, error three. Not only do I not sin now, this is another error, but I've never sinned. Now, this, this error can only be committed by an unbeliever. Look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, and what he's saying there is never. I've never sinned. We make him a liar. It's interesting, the change, because here we're not lying. We're actually calling God a liar, not we, the person that might say that. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. The, 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 the verb tense is in the aorist, which means uh, the point, a point in time. He, he's looking back and saying, you know, I have never sinned. This is the person that's an unbeliever and doesn't understand the fact that we are all sinners, for all have sinned and short, uh, uh, fell short of the glory of God. This is a, de- a person who is deceived. He hasn't believed like Isaiah 53 that says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. No, we've all turned astray. We've all are sinners. We are all condemned, the human race. Because when Adam fell, the stain came, went to each of Adam's children. And we are of Adam's children. But look at the, look at the truth. For the person who says, well, listen, I, I, I thought I wasn't, I, I didn't think the sin condemned me. I didn't know even I was a sinner. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. I mean, he's actually writing so that they would have a holiness in their life. And if anyone sins, by the way, if anyone sins before salvation or even after salvation, the same person is the one that takes care of our sins, and that's Christ. We have an advocate, you might want to underline three words. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, that's another word, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the uh, sins of the whole world. Uh, three different words. The word, first word is advocate. It's actually the word we get lawyer from, the idea of a lawyer. See, an advocate is one who usually speaks in our defense. Again, we usually think of him as a lawyer who defends the case based on the merits of the defendant. You know, you've, in a court of law, you have a lawyer that defends the defendant. Well, he really wasn't there at the, you know, when the murder was done. But in salvation, it is not our merit, but on Christ's merit that we are defended. Now, I want you to see that. In salvation, it's not our own merit because we're all sinners. It's on the, on the basis of Christ's merit that we can stand righteous. So we have an advocate, and he is righteous, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's why that's so important right there. And I stand righteous, not because he has defended me and found John Prince not really that bad. It's because he has defended me and said, you know what, he stands in me, in Christ. And then finally, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. He is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation um, means that by him God's just wrath against our sin was satisfied. When the wrath of God was being poured out at the moment of atonement, which was those second three hours on the cross, darkness came 
Atonement was made. The wrath, all is the fury and the wrath of God was being placed on Christ. He was paying the penalty for my sin. That he became the propitiation at that moment for us. See, we are made just before God only by the substitutionary death of, of Christ. So when I partake and we partake and do this in remembrance of me, thank you, Lord. All the things, all the sins that were forgiven, the righteous standing is because you are righteous because you took the you took the penalty for my sin. So I just gave you three errors, three truths. Let me just close with a, a couple thoughts. First of all, the light of God will be exposing darkness. I mean, what have we learned with this whole, you know, sin righteousness? How can I have my, my uh, joy full? I would say this. The light of God will be exposing the darkness. Uh, we will not think how good we are. We should not come here thinking how good we are. Rather, we will be growing in our sensitivity to sin. John has made it very clear. Listen, we're all sinners. <laughs> Don't be thinking that you are ahead of the game if you're really not. Don't think that we have never sinned. Don't think that we can have fellowship with God and still walk in darkness. Christian, sensitize yourself to uh, walking with the Lord and what he's really trying to do in your life, and that is have you become more like him. Sensitize, Lord, search me, show me. Don't let me just walk through thinking I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm better. I, um, Charles Wesley had a woman come to her one side, time and said, you know what, would you please pray for me, Char- uh, uh, Dr. Wesley? Uh, I, I am a sinner. I am a great sinner, she added. I am a Christian, but I sometimes fail so dreadfully. Would you please pray for me? And Wesley looked at her somewhat sternly and said, yes, madam, I will pray for you for truly... You are a great sinner. And what she said quickly, what do you mean? I've never really done anything that wrong before. See, that's how sometimes, please, I am so bad. Well, I know you're really bad. Well, I would hope that we can walk away kind of like Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And Isaiah, when he wrote that, Isaiah 6, was probably the godliest man in Israel at that moment. And yet he looked at himself and said, woe is me before holiness, because light penetrates and destroys uh, darkness. The other thing I want to get encouragement from, and this is really where it all started, to be honest with you, why I went from Nehemiah 3 to uh, 1 John. I was reading about Nehemiah, and there was this man. If you want to go to Nehemiah chapter 3, If I can find it. There was, uh, in verse 11, Nehemiah 3.11, Malchazai, the son of Haram. And I was just reading a commentary, and, and what they said was there was a couple men there, the guy in verse 4 and the guy in verse 11, are also found in Ezra. Well, that's interesting. It connects the two books, because Ezra was written just a few years earlier, less than a decade earlier. But this Malchazai, if you go to Ezra chapter 10, he was one of the men of Israel, you find him in verse 31, of the sons of Haram, da-da-da-da, Malchazai, Malchazar, however you say his name. But the point is, is this. One of the things that the Jews were never to do is marry foreign wives. Because when you married a foreign wife, 
Your, their idols became your idols. And, uh, and, and, they, and, the, and the Jewish line, especially for the Messiah, had to remain pure. This was one of the men that had married a foreign wife. Now, the interesting thing is, is this. He is also one who is used to build the wall, which means he's still there in Jerusalem, which means he's still part of the people of Jerusalem. He's still part of the chosen. And it just struck me that even though we sin, even though we tremendously sin, because that was a huge sin. In fact, in Ezra, you can read how that they should have kept the covenant. And when they found out that they had broken the covenant, it said that they wept and bitterly wept. And it took them three months. They had all these hundreds and hundreds of families that came in that had over time married foreign wives, foreign sons. And what they had to do is literally it says that they had to divorce. Now, doesn't that sound crazy? Like in our day and age, they actually had to put away their wife or their husband and the children that were also born to them. Probably taken care of. I'm not saying they were just left destitute. But the point was this. God was very serious about keeping the line of the Jews pure. And I just got to thinking, wow, they sinned. Two things happened, though. When they repented, and you can find that again at Ezra chapter 10. One, they were brought back into fellowship, remained in Jerusalem, and when they built the walls, they were walking with God. Because uh, Nehemiah had told some people, you have no part in us. But this man, Malshazah, was able to be part of the fellowship. Okay, so when you sin and you confess, you can be part of the fellowship. But the other thing is that you can be used by God. That was a very, very serious sin that they did, marrying a foreign but you can still be used by God. But to do that, now think about this. They had to actually put away someone that they dearly loved and children to be able to walk with God. Now again, we have a hard time even understanding that one. But, I, but what, what I was thinking about was this. You know what? Walking with God is not easy. Sometimes there are huge sacrifices that we have to make to get our lives back on track with God. For this man, he literally had to go before Ezra. Ezra said, you know, you need to uh, do with the original plan, and that was not to marry a foreign woman. You need to set her over here. Again, take care of her, but you cannot be married. That's, that was part of the law. Huge sacrifice. Huge, uh, difficult, not difficulty, sacrifice. Uh, you know, it, it's hard. <laughs> And so with you, I want you to say this. When you come before the table and you say, Lord, I know that this is an area that you want me to change. It might be that he asks you to do some huge sacrifice in order to get victory in that area. I think we look for ease, comfort. And yet God is not saying that necessarily. You may be walking down the path over here. And for him to bring you over here, you you might have to make some serious, serious um, commitments and a covenant before him to go in this direction. And again, as we saw in Proverbs uh, earlier, that when we confess, we forsake, and we say, Lord, I never want to go back there. I want to walk consistently with you. So again, I just I leave you with that last illustration, because whatever God's doing in your heart, it may not be easy. It may be very, very difficult, but it doesn't mean that it's not right.